when I was in Uganda. I know I keep coming back to this, but it's kind of a big deal in my life right now. Um, but there was, uh, there was this one evening, because we went and got our kids. The place we got them from was pretty, it was pretty filthy. It was a pretty rough place. And I've, I mean, I've been to a lot of those places before. I've traveled around the world a lot. been in third world countries and third world situations a lot. But it's different when you know that's your son, your daughter. It's, uh, you know why you're there. And, and um, if you've ever been, on, ever been on a trip where you went to work in an orphanage or went to serve somewhere for a short period of time, you know, it, it, one of the most discouraging things is leaving and not really being able to do anything. And, um, and it, was, it, was, it was an overwhelming feeling knowing we're going here to rescue these two people, to make them a son and daughter and bring them into our family. And to do that, we had to go into the filth and the grime and the sludge of the third world. And it's, again, if you've been there, you can't, you can't, people, people always ask, I'll never forget coming back from Mumbai, India. Uh, and, and we had gone over to just to, to just walk the slums. It wasn't, a, you know, people talk about mission trips. It wasn't a mission trip. We just said, my daughter, my oldest daughter said, let's go to, let's go walk the slums. We saw that movie, Slumdog Millionaire. She said, let's go walk around those slums and tell people about Jesus. So, okay. Um, so we did that. And we, we, uh, we just, we hired, we found a local interpreter from a church there and just me and my wife and my daughter, my oldest daughter, went to Mumbai and we walked the slums. And uh, if you've ever seen that movie, it's very accurate. What you don't get when you watch a movie or look at pictures, you don't get the sound, you don't get the smell, you don't get the oppressive presence of the smog, the fact that you never see blue sky or sunshine in those places, it's, just the, it's so filthy. It's Literally, there's a haze that hovers over those types of places, and it's just a haze of filth. And you go into a place like that, and you think, man, I live in a really clean and sterile world. And to be able to get a kid and bring him back home is, it w- was really gratifying. It was overwhelming emotionally. You've got our kids, and uh, you don't know how they're going to. I've got video of walking in the first day to meet them. And we're introduced to them as mom and dad. Your mom, your dad, that's what the lady said. And, and uh, Mo just started screaming and crying, which I don't blame him. Big, ugly, white dude, you know, in Africa. Um, it's scary, I'm sure. It's like an alien showed up, you know. So he's freaking out. He's real malnourished. You know, big, swollen belly. You've seen pictures and videos of these kids. He's about a year old and weighs about 11 pounds. He's this big, swollen belly and just he's real unhealthy and on the verge of death. And, uh, but he figured out how to cry when I walked towards him. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, I picked up my daughter and I was just kind of holding her and it was, and it was interesting how she seemed to understand what we were there for. And I know now she did, she, it had been explained to her and she's older so she could kind of comprehend if you have a new family and they're coming for you. And, uh, uh, but there were a few nights later where, um, and, and I, I had noticed, uh, on, on Juliet, on her body, there were a lot of scars, and um, big scar on her arm, big scar on her on her belly right here. They're burns, you can tell. You know a burn, burn marks here and here, and one on her arm, and I mean on her hand, and then uh, a few cut marks. Just kind of, she's kind of scarred up for a kid her age. I mean, us Holloways, we we carry a lot of scars. I got, I got, I've had a lot of stitches in my life, but I mean, it, this was abnormal, you know. And so it's obvious you know, that she's been abused, and it's very, I mean, very evident that something, she's been mishandled, and so then, you know, as a dad, I'm just, 
I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated. You know, it's just this emotion. I can't explain it. I can't explain it. There's, this, there's a rage that's kind of stirring, but there's nothing you can do about it because who knows who did that, where, you know, where that happened. And, um, but about the fourth night that we had the kids, um, it was probably 10 o'clock at night. She came over. She, she wouldn't go to sleep. And at that time, she didn't know any, any English at all. English is her third language. And she speaks it with a crazy cool accent. But um, she didn't know. It's like a southern meets African accent on English. It's, it's pretty sweet. And uh, so she, she came over. She, was, she came over and she sat in my lap. She started crying. And she just crying and crying and crying. And nothing had happened. They had just been kind of, we were just kind of hanging out and playing crying and crying and crying. This went on for like 20, 30 minutes, just this wailing. But it was like she wanted to be with me, but she just wanted to cry. I mean, just like legit crying, like just wailing. And I asked, so I, didn't, I couldn't figure out what was going on. So I asked this lady that was uh, like our, she was our kind of, she cooked. We, we rented a room in a guest house and she was kind of over the, she did the cooking and she was over the girls that did the cleaning and stuff. And we got really close friends with her. Um, and she's an awesome godly lady, which ladies, by the way, tomorrow night we'll have some of her jewelry that she makes out of trash that she recycles. It's fascinating. She makes jewelry out of stuff. I mean, legit African jewelry. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm out of the story for a second here, okay? This is a, uh, this is a pride, uh, I mean, like, like no pride here. Um, this is a commercial, okay? This is an advertisement. She makes this, she, she gets recycled junk and she makes jewelry. So if you've ever gone to another country and you buy a souvenir and you get home and look on the bottom and it says made in Panama or China or something, you're like, this is not even a legitimate souvenir. You know, this didn't really come from Honduras or, you know, whatever. So this is, she, we're going to have some of her stuff for sale because that's how she, she takes, she's got five kids and awesome lady. We just became like family with her. And so I just, I, I pulled her over there. I said, why is, why is she crying? Like I can't, she won't stop crying, but she doesn't, she seems to be content to just lay here. Why is she crying? Because she can. She said, that kid's been wanting to cry for five years. But she couldn't because she was either in survival mode or in a room full of people that wouldn't listen to her if she did cry. And she's lived in a world where there was no touch, no physical love, no affection given like that. Look at a story tonight where there's, there's a man who I think feels that kind of rejection or that kind of a lack of love and touch and I mean, it's just awesome as, as I talked through this with her that night and she said she's just she's never felt this kind of security and she's just overcome with emotion right now and she did man she laid in my lap and cried for an hour and about an hour into it she, she started laughing and grinning and she's like daddy you you play she'd figured out what the word play meant so then was get up and go play and we stayed up really late that night. But in Mark chapter 1, there's this guy. He's a leper. Y'all know what a leper is. Guy's got this disease called leprosy. And in the, in a, in a, in a culture of early Judaism in, in Jerusalem and around the cities around and in Galilee to the north and all over the, really all over the Roman Empire, the, the, the civilized world at that time, if a person had leprosy, you weren't allowed to interact with that person. You couldn't go talk to them. You couldn't shake their hand, hug them, love them. You couldn't, if it was your kid, you had to kick them out of the house. If it was, listen, there was in the Old Testament, 
Remember last night, we talked about the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament. So 100 years before this, there had been a king who was the, the, one of the greatest kings in the history of the world. His name was Uzziah. And he had been one of the greatest kings since King David. But he became prideful, and as a result, he, he went through an ordeal where he ended up getting leprosy. And the people who loved this king more than than any leader in the known world, they had to confine him to solitary quarters out in the middle of the wilderness, and they rejected him. He had to go live alone. This great king, it was, if you got leprosy, you were shunned and rejected because people were scared of it. There were only two situations in, in history where it was known that leprosy had been cured, it had been healed. One of them was Moses' sister, about 1,000, 1,500 years, probably about 1,500 years before this, about 1,000 years before this. And one was uh, uh, a general from an opposing army, the Syrian army, a guy named Naaman. You might remember the story. He was told to dip down in the Jordan River seven times by the great prophet. And when he did that, his leprosy was cured. And so you've got two situations in the Old Testament where people have been cured from leprosy. Now, it was believed that only God could cure a person from leprosy because it was also believed that if you got leprosy, it was a punishment from God. So God has punished this man with leprosy. At least that's what people think. Now, that's not the way God works, young people. God doesn't punish people by striking them with deadly diseases. Now, there's a difference if someone contracts AIDS, for instance, because they're sexually promiscuous. That would be a consequence of your, act, your behavior and your activity. But God doesn't go around smiting people with leprosy just because he's mad at them. God, God, God brings discipline and he brings wrath, but he does it in a way that is defined in Scripture. He tells us the way he's going to judge. He tells us how he's going to hold us accountable. And God has extended grace to all people. And whatever our situation is in, there's still grace in the situation. As long as you're breathing and you're alive, God has given you grace. And so this, this society, this culture this man lived in, he, he, he was completely rejected. And it wasn't his fault. He never, I want you to just, before we start reading the story, he's never been touched physically. I saw the way to that with my daughter that night. Don't know what physical touch and affection is. I'm not, I'm not a naturally affectionate, physically affectionate person. But I am with my daughters and my sons and my five kids. Man, I'm like ogreish. You know, I mean, it's, I'm sure it gets on their nerves because I just, I'm, I'm affectionate. There's this need to express what I feel. Because love wants to express itself that way. But when you withhold that, from someone, some of you, maybe you've grown up, maybe, maybe you've grown up in a house where you don't feel love and affection, you don't feel touch, you don't, you didn't get hugged, you didn't get loved, you didn't get cared for. And so you feel this emptiness and maybe you've looked for healing or, or, or fixation in earthly relationships. You see, I see girls all the time go into sexual relationships because they just want to feel touched and loved and, and cared for. And so they'll compromise everything that matters in their life to just feel loved We've seen people turn to homosexuality because the only affection they'd ever felt was abusive. Why? I don't, just, I'm confused. I don't know what to do. And when you don't feel the affection and love of people around you that should care about you and should love you, it can leave you feeling pretty disoriented emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. You imagine the condition this man's in. He has been not only left untouched, unloved, uncared for, he's been completely rejected by all of society. Nobody will have anything to do with this guy. 
That's the scene in Mark chapter 1, verse 40, when it says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him. So I want you to think the last two stories we've read. Last night, the rich young man runs up to Jesus, kneels down. This morning, the man from the tombs, who is crazy and out of his mind and even possessed, runs up to Jesus, kneels down. Tonight, what do we see this guy do? He comes up to Jesus, begging Jesus. Now, he's begging and he kneels before Jesus. And he says, if you will, you can make me clean. And in that statement, he's recognizing that the only hope for you and me and anybody in all of history, the only hope for cleanliness and salvation and righteousness is for Jesus and his blood to make us clean. There's no other, there's nothing else that will bring healing and love and cleansing, nothing else. And he recognizes it. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. Nobody else can take away what I feel like. Nobody else can give me what I need. He recognizes in Jesus the only hope that he has. And tonight, I want you to recognize in Jesus, we work through this text. I want you to, re- listen, we don't, we're not fancy in our preaching here. We just go through the Bible. Like we're just going to go through the story. That's what we do. And I want you to, as we work through this man's situation, I want you to see your need for Jesus to treat you the way he treats this man. And if you're a Christian tonight, it's because Jesus has touched you in such a way that he's given you his righteousness unearned you didn't earn it if you think you earned it you're not saved if you think you deserved it you ain't got it if you're humble before the lord going i don't deserve wretched man that i am wretched woman that i am a poor sinner i i am undeserving of god's grace i'm ill deserving when it comes to god's grace then what really has happened if, if you're not there then you're not there and you don't know jesus in a saving way because to know christ In such a way that he extends salvation to us, we've got to understand our spiritual poverty. What that means is, let me explain that. We've got to understand we have need of something outside of ourselves to fix what's broken inside of ourselves. Everybody's broken on the inside. And something greater than our inward brokenness has to bring us healing. And Jesus is the answer to that. Jesus alone can do that. And this man kneels before Jesus and he says, if you can, you'll make me clean. He cries out to Jesus, moved with pity. Jesus is moved with pity. You see this throughout the book of Mark. Jesus moved with compassion, moved with pity. He takes pity on people. He stretched out his hand and touched him. Powerful words right there. I saw it in Uganda that night. Reached out his hand and touched him. Jesus is not scared of his leprosy. Jesus is not scared of your addiction. Jesus is not scared of the fact that you've slept around or been abused or got drunk or high last week. Jesus is not scared of that because he's already put that sin to death at Calvary's cross. He doesn't need, he doesn't need anything when it comes to saving you and me. It's already been done. He can save you and lift you out of whatever situation you're in because he's God. And he has the power and the authority to do it. But it's not just that he has the power and the authority to do it. Young people, he has the compassion and the pity on you and me that he reaches down and saves people like us. He's a God of compassion. 
And he loves you in a way that that boy that you're trying to get love from can't love you. In a way that that girl that you need affection from can't love you. In a way that your dad or stepdad or stepmom who abused you can't fix what's broken. Jesus can do that. Jesus can stop you from cutting yourself. He can stop you from gagging yourself. He can stop you from looking at porn. He can heal you because he does it from the inside out. Because he's not scared of your sin. And you're not gross to him. You're needy and impoverished spiritually to him. And he saves those of us who need him when we call on him. He touches this man because he's not scared of his leprosy. And I don't know who you are sitting here tonight, young lady, and you don't feel like you have any value and any, any worth. And I'm going to tell you the worst news and the best news you'll ever hear, you don't have any value and any worth. Not in and of yourself, but you do because Christ gives it to you. Christ gives you your value, and that is a value that is indescribable. It is a value beyond anything on this planet. You are, you are priceless in the eyes of a God who created you because of the work of Jesus. He'll save you, love you, give you an identity, give you a future, give you healing, deal with your past, set your feet firmly on truth that will establish you as a child of God. He touches this man. It's so simple. Just think of the skin. He just washes the sin, cleanses him. This man's sin is a picture of, I mean, this man's leprosy is a picture of our sin in this story. We, we've talked about this as we've looked at each of these stories. This man's leprosy is a picture of our sin. That's what we're saying here. Ephesians chapter 2. Let me just read 10 verses here. Listen to this. This this is a passage of Scripture that describes what is happening to this man in Mark 1. I think this is the most beautiful passage of Scripture that explains how it happens to us. So let's just read these 10 verses, okay? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us you and me with which he loved the leper verse 5 even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen? Now listen, I want to walk through those verses quickly, and I want to just listen to what he's saying. In verse 1, he says, we were dead in trespass and sin. Dead people do not respond to any stimulus, nothing. They don't listen. They don't talk. They don't act. They can't see. They can't hear. They can't feel. You can wave smelling salts in front of their face. They are corpses. You put smelling salts in front of a corpse's nose and he stays dead. You're like, what is smelling salt? It's this real strong thing they give to boxers when they get knocked out. 
You see a guy get knocked out, one of those ultimate fighting things. You ever see that? Those guys are in that big cage. They're beating each other up. And the guy gets knocked out, and they'll wave this stuff in front of his nose. And he, why? It brings him back. Because he's not dead. He's just knocked out. But if you're dead, you can't come back to life. Dead people don't come back to life. Verse 2, in our deadness, we walked in obedience to Satan because we were under control of someone, something outside of ourselves. We're enslaved. We're in bondage. We lived as slaves to sin. So our deadness also led to active disobedience and sin and rebellion. The perfect example of a real life zombie. Zombies in the physical sense do not exist. I hate to disappoint you walking dead fans. But spiritually, we are all zombies by birth. We're literally dead people spiritually who are walking physically. Dead people spiritually walking physically. Dead people cannot stop being dead. Sinners cannot, cannot stop sinning. Sin is our death. We are dead in it. We walk in it. There's no way for us to escape it. We need to be rescued by a force greater, more powerful than our death and our sin. We walk and follow Satan, the Bible says, because we are slaves to sin and Satan. When we were dead in sin, verse 3 says, we were slaves to sin. We lived according to the desires of our selfish flesh and sinful bodies. We were under God's wrath. Literally, we were children of wrath. Listen how the word of God throughout the New Testament describes the condition of a person when they're dead in sin. Just, okay, listen to me, young people. Listen to what the word of God says about the condition of a person who's dead in sin. In Mark chapter 7, verse 7, it says, when we try to worship, we're prideful in our worship. In John 3, 18, it says we are condemned before God. In John 3, 19, it says we love darkness rather than light. In John 3, 20, we hate light and will not come to it. In John 6, 44, we cannot come to Christ. In John 8, 34, we are slaves to sin. In Romans 3, 10, we are not righteous. In Romans 3.11, we do not understand salvation. In Romans 3.12, we do not seek God. We do not do anything good. We are deceitful. Romans 3.13-17, we are destructive. We are destroyers. Romans 3.18, we have no fear of God. Romans 6.17, we are slaves to sin. Romans 8, 7, we are hostile enemies to God. Romans 8, 8, we cannot please God. Galatians 3.10, we are cursed by the law. Ephesians 2.12, we are separated from Christ with no hope. Ephesians 4.17, we're pointless and hopeless and futile in our minds. Ephesians 4.18, we're dark in our understanding. Ephesians 4.18, we're alienated from God and hard-hearted. Ephesians 4.19, we're sensual, greedy, and impure. Colossians 1.21, we are alienated and hostile to God. 1 John 1.6, we walk in darkness. 1 John 1.8, we are disabled. Deceived. 1 John 1.10, we call God a liar. 1 John 2, 9 through 11, we are in darkness. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, we love the world. 1 John 3, 4, we practice sin. 1 John 3, 8, we are of the devil. 1 John 3, 10, we don't truly love others. 1 John 3, 14, we abide in death. 1 John 4, 1 through 6, we are captive to the spirit of Antichrist. 1 John 4, 8, we do not know God. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, let me read it again. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Because he has the power to do that. The same God that touches a 
filthy leper that nobody will have anything to do with takes a spiritually dead person and brings them back to life. That's what salvation is. That's what I need you to see tonight. That's what I need you to feel tonight. You're not saved because you said a cute little prayer and impressed God. You're not saved because you got baptized when you were four and that impressed God. You're not saved because you went through confirmation class or your grandmother was a Christian or your grandfather was a preacher, you are saved if indeed you are saved because God, rich in mercy, saved you from your deadness through the power of Jesus at the cross. God is good. And he has compassion and pity on you and on me. That's the good news, young people. That's the good news. You don't have to be an enemy of God. Be a child of God. You don't have to be a child of wrath. Be a child of God. You don't have to be like the leper. It's, it's, it's said that those lepers would walk through the streets and they would have to scream, unclean, unclean. Don't come near me. Do not come near me. I'm, I'm filthy. They'd be all wrapped up. You know, if you've ever seen someone in a burqa the, in, in the Muslim world, they, these ladies, all you can see is a little, just their eyes barely. And sometimes you can't even see that. And they're covered up. Lepers would go through the city and they'd scream, I'm a leper. Get away. Get away from me. Don't come near me. I have to move through this part of the city. And you need to get away from me because I'm filthy. Not only did humanity condemn them, but they were self-condemned. And they had to scream their own condemnation out. Some of you are self-condemned. Some of you, your worst enemy is yourself. And what Jesus can save you from tonight is yourself. Your own self-condemnation, your own self-guilt, your own self-pity. Jesus can lift you out of that and give you salvation. It's like he gave it to the leper. But God, rich in mercy, is my favorite verse in the Bible. In verse 6, God saves us by raising us up and then he sets us with Christ. We cannot raise ourselves. He does this. We're not only saved, but we are saved and brought into full sonship. In verse 7, once we're saved, we have both this life and all of eternity to marvel at God's love. His love is immeasurable. And in verse 8, both grace and faith are gifts to us given from God. In verse 9, we cannot take credit for either. But in verse 10, God didn't just save us to keep us out of hell. He saved us to do great things in us and through us. God's going to do stuff with you. If you're a Christian, you're a child of God, God's going to do stuff. He's going to do some stuff with you. There's a bunch of people, especially in the Bible Belt, man. I don't know if it's like this in Ontario, Canada, but I'll tell you this. In the Bible Belt, there's a bunch of stone-cold, dead Christians in church. Ain't guy ain't doing nothing. Just go to church. Just do the church thing. But God will get a hold of you, give you life, do work through you. Man, it's awesome. God will... Lead your friends to Jesus. He'll minister to your family. He'll give you direction for your future. God has a plan for your life. He loves you. He doesn't just save you and say, all right, man, bring your ticket. The day you die, bring your ticket and I'll let you in. He's like, I saved you. It's me and you now. It's me and you. I didn't save you, so you walk off. It's me and you. We're in this thing together. (laughs) You ever have to do something where you were scared? I I remember... It's heavy. I gotta take a breath, take a break. <laughs> Going to when I went over to uh, Gallenberg. You ever go over there? That is like the hillbilly vacation capital of the world, man. You want airbrush, funnel cakes, cotton candy, hot rods, rubbing down the streets, Harley Davidsons, you some putt putt. 
go-karts. That's, that's good, man. The smell of go-kart fuel and cotton candy. That's what I'm talking about, man. That's a, that's, that's a little piece of paradise right there. Go back to the motel. We don't stay in a hotel. We stay in a motel. You got to drive up front, and there's your door right in front of the car. And there's a swimming pool around the backside of the building that everybody in that whole motel done peed in in the last 24 hours. I mean, that's the kind of motel I stay in because they're the cheap ones, you know. We went over there. We were, we, and so we're like, let's do something cool. And so me and my wife got this idea. <laughs> we, got, we got this idea. We go, they got this Jurassic Park ride. Okay, so our kids were little. This years ago, our kids were little. We said, we said let's <laughs> we said let's put them on the boat and let them go through. We knew it was scary. <laughs> Some would say it's bad parenting. I would beg to say it is good parenting. <laughs> Teach them to be tough. <laughs> it's tough growing up Holloway. Now I'll tell you. Oh, I'm telling you, man. You asked Juju the first that Juju had never seen a swimming pool. I'm, I'm from one story to another story, all in one shot here, okay? So just bear with me. All right, first, you've never seen a swimming pool. We found a swimming pool. It was like two bucks a day. You go to this swimming pool right in downtown Kampala. I bought her some little arm floats. Said, this is a swimming pool. It's like 10 feet deep. Picked her up and threw her right out in the middle of it. <laughs> she's kaboom. She came up. She's just floating. She's like, she's really confused, you know? She's like, what just happened? I was like, it's tough growing up Holloway. Get used to it. That's the way it works. She loves it now, man. She loves the swimming pool. All right, but so, so, we, so we stick our kids on this thing, and we send them through the Jurassic Park ride thing, dinosaur ride. I was like, look, guys, this is a little dinosaur ride. This will be awesome. <laughs> right as they're going in, I remember, I don't remember which one I want. One of them looks over and goes, help, 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 help. Right, and then they're gone through the gate, you know. <laughs> I think my oldest one at the time was, you know, she was cool with it. She was like, whatever. And I was like, you got him, you know. We got done with that ride. Well, uh, the next time we went to Gatlinburg, we, there's this place on the back street. of That was in Pigeon Forge, if you've ever been over there. So the, over in Gatlinburg, there was this haunted house, a haunted mansion. I was like, let's do this. So, I, so we got in there. I said, all right, here's the deal. I'll go through it with you. The one kid was like, no, heck no. No, you won't go through it with me. You go through it by yourself is what you do because I will do whatever I got to do. I will run away. They will, I will be on a milk carton tomorrow because I will leave and they'll be looking for me. You will see my picture 10 years from now on the bulletin board at Walmart, age progression. This is what she looks like now. Ran away from her mama at the haunted mansion in Gallenberg. <laughs> so I said, all right, this is cool. So, so, the one, so Kilby's like, oh, I ain't going through it. So Tuck was like, he was he maybe like five years old. He's like, I'll go. I'll do it, Daddy. He's like bowing up, you know, like, I'll do it. I said, let's go. We go through that thing, man. He's like latched on to me. I mean, I was exhausted by the time we got out of there. He's, he, is, he never looked up. He had his head just buried right here. And I walked through that with him, man. We walked right through that haunted mansion. There were people, man, like coming out with chainsaws, you know, and screaming, hollering. I got a little freaked out at one point. I thought, I'm glad I don't have a gun right now, you know. <laughs> it could get bad. We get through that thing, we get outside, and, and I said, Tuck, what do you think, man? Was, it wasn't so bad, was it? He said, no, it wasn't that bad at all. And I said, why? And he said, because I didn't see a thing. <laughs> I see nothing. I had my face buried. And what, here, here's the thing. There's the, I, I, like when Jesus brings you into a relationship, he then does the work through you. He takes you through the hard times. He takes you through the dark times. He walks you where before you meet Jesus, you've got to go through that stuff alone. 
You've got to work through this world. Everybody's got to deal with junk. You can reject Jesus, and you're going to still have to go through this life, this world, and it's going to be hard. But with Christ, in Christ, he literally works through you, walks through you, lives through you, strengthens you, builds you up, and never leaves you. The Bible says he'll never leave us or forsake us. He healed that leper that night, and that man was healed for good, for good. And the picture in Mark chapter 1, I'm back in Mark 1 and wrapping it up right here, I promise. Verse 42, end of verse 41, Jesus says, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. This man is made clean instantly by the spoken word of Jesus. Jesus has the authority to cleanse this man, just like that, because he has the authority to save you just like that. Listen, young people, I don't want you to live in your own condemnation over your own sin. You don't have to do that. Let Jesus take your junk and deal with it. And be free from it. And be free from it. Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer yourself for cleansing what Moses commanded for proof of them. So he sends the guy. Here's what he's doing. He's saying, go to the priest and let him examine you because in their culture, remember there had only been two healings of leprosy. The, the priest had to say if it was legit or not. So he's saying, go to the priest. The priest is going to look at you, see that you're healed, and then he's going to say, this man has been healed from leprosy. And that man's going to be able to glorify God and point people to Jesus because only God can heal people of leprosy. And look what he says. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This guy couldn't contain himself. Because when you meet Jesus, you'll freak people out, man. When, you, when Jesus gets hold of your life, we said it this morning, he will change you. You don't, listen to me, you don't have to change. Jesus will change you. I'm, I'm, I'm so sick of people trying to convince young people. It's like, you got to change. And, now, and when people tell you you got to change, and then you try to change, that's just like, that's, that's moral behavior adjustment. If I can act good. That doesn't change anything, man. It's, Jesus changes your heart, and he lives through you. He goes through the hard times with you. He cleanses and heals you. Jesus does the work. I want you to see that. I want you to see Jesus for who he is. When he does that work, man, you won't be able to help but tell people about it. You won't be able to help it. You won't be able to help it. Tonight, here's the invitation. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, tonight I want you to go let me give you three options here. Three options, okay? I'm not an elaborate invitation giver. Go talk to your student pastor or your pastor. Just say, man, we, we got to talk. We got to talk. Your pastor's here, your student pastor, a leader you trust. Go talk to him. Say, I gotta, we got to sort some things out. Or if you know you ain't saved, the bottom, it's not magic. Because God don't do magic. God does God. And, here, and, and the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, call on Christ. Listen, you call on Jesus. You call on him. You say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's all you got to do in a big elaborate prayer. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, save me. Done. Done. I don't know if I got saved. Did you call on him? Yeah. Done. Like, quit, quit letting people convince you that you ain't saved. If he saved you, you can't get more saved or You can't. You know, I mean, it's like I talked to a kid a couple weeks ago here at camp, two weeks ago. Kid comes up to me after it was it was after about three days at camp. He said, "Man, 
I want to be saved. I'm just not ready. I said, what are you talking about? Well, I want to be saved. My mom told me I'm not ready. I said, when you say you want to be saved, what are you, what are you thinking right now? Well, I mean, I'm thinking I want to trust in Jesus, okay? So if you're thinking you want to trust in Jesus, do you believe Jesus is God? Yeah. You believe he died for you? Yeah. You believe he went to the cross, nailed your sin there, left it, killed it, bloody, sacrificed himself in your place? Yeah. You believe that? Yeah. Have you told him that? Yeah. You're saved, dude. Tell your mom's too late. <laughs> too late. He got me. It's not magic. Call the name of the Lord. You're saved. Confess him as Lord. Give it to him. Give it all to him. You do that. Just you and Jesus. Come down here, man. We got an altar right here. It's old school, like old school church, man. I grew up, people come to the altar. It was awesome. And do that and go talk to a student pastor, your pastor, or you feel free to go outside and talk to one of the the counselors here. If you just got questions, you know, you're you're wrestling with things. Love to help you. Love to help you. Okay? Let uh, Let me pray, and we'll go into a time of worship, and you respond as the Lord would lead you to respond. It's that simple. Okay? Let's pray. God, you are, you're powerful, you're, you're, you're mighty to save, and you have the authority to save, and you have the compassion and the pity to save, and I don't, I don't understand a lot about, I don't understand a lot about you, I know that in a thousand years, I will have just scratched the surface of the, of the depth of your wisdom and knowledge and mercy and love and compassion and justice and righteousness. So God, I know I haven't even scratched the surface yet, but I know enough to say that apart from you saving me, there is no hope. Because I'm a sinner, a wretched sinner. And there's young people here tonight, God, they don't understand all, their need, all, all that they think they need to understand. But God, they tonight, you open their eyes and the the veil is removed. They understand they need Jesus. That's enough. They understand that leper needed one thing, a touch from Christ. You got to pray tonight you'd save sons and daughters, bring them to glory. For those of us who are your sons and daughters, I pray we would have a, an absolute overwhelming sense of your grace and your love when we see afresh and anew what great love you have for us, what you brought us out of love you and as we worship you now ask you by your holy spirit move in the lives of these students and leaders and staff come meet with us now we pray jesus in this time of worship we love you we thank you in jesus name